2020 marks the 50th birthday of Griffin Theatre Company's home, the Stables Theatre. I'm Angela Caterns. Join us as we celebrate the anniversary in this special series of podcasts where we'll hear about the theatre's history and talk to some of the country's most celebrated artists. In 2019, Sheridan Harbridge performed in the sold-out one-woman show Prima Facie at the Stables. She had always envisaged a career as a serious actor, but her career was hijacked, in a way, by an interesting turn of events. And in fact, she became best known for her quirky comedy and musical performances. Sheridan Harbridge, welcome to our 50th anniversary of the Stables podcast series. It is a pleasure to be here. And so when was your acting path hijacked and how did that uh, happen? Yes. Well, I, you know, I graduated from NIDA and was like, oh, yes, um, I'm going to have a lovely, serious career being an actor. I'm going to do what Kate did um, or have my obligatory guestie on McLeod's Daughters. And um, <laughs> I was doing some um, backup singing for a friend's album and um, he was running a competition, the Sydney Cabaret Competition. And as I sort of, you know, we're chatting through and he's like, oh, you should do this. You know, there's a prize. There's money. And I was like, Boo, money. Great. <laughs> this cabaret thing sounds easy. Of course, months rolled by. He'd registered me. I forgot the day before the competition. I suddenly went, oh, God, I haven't done this thing. And I messaged my friend and said, oh, you know, I've got um, gastro, can't do it. But then my boyfriend went, mm, I think you should do it. I've got a funny feeling about it. And any time anyone has said that to me, it's worked out, including my audition for NIDA. I was not going to do it. So I was like, mm, I think you should do I've it. I've got a good feeling about yes. this. Um, so I ended up writing a show on a back of a napkin about how I hadn't written a show. Uh. Um, turned up like a total a-hole, unprepared, and did this, one, and it ended up getting a whole show commissioned out of it for Adelaide Cabaret Festival. I took that show to Edinburgh. I toured through Europe with this show and sort of really found my clown, I would say, the, the relishing of disaster theatre, which is my favourite kind of theatre, like, you know, really pulling the facade down and going, the audience is here, I'm here, let's see how much we can mess with this form. Um, and that I, I still make many forms of that sort of theatre and play that clown, which is kind of like a, a woman who really was wishing things were going better. <laughs> and so you were a, a solo performer in, in, in that show, in yeah. comedy and cabaret. Yeah, mm. and I went on to write a full musical about Marie Duplessis, sort of using really similar, all the things I'd learned from writing that solo show. I wrote a musical with three other people and um, we ended up going to New York with that and winning the New York Music Theatre Festival. It just had this great detour that I think I was put on this earth to do, you know, and it all made much more sense to me than pursuing that straight acting. Yeah, but it's just opened up so much. And so you're a singer and a dancer? Do you enjoy entertaining audiences? I can sing. I would say my dance is more like I move with passion. <laughs> I have been in many a musical where the choreographers just asked me to hop into the back and just do step togethers. Um, yeah, so I yeah I would say theatre with music is my favourite kind of theatre because music just bypasses thought processes, it goes straight to the gut and the groin, you know, and I love that kind of theatre. And you're a singer as well? Yes, yes. Oh. And so recently, Sheridan, you performed solo to much acclaim in the Griffin production of Prima Facie, a very dramatic play about sexual assault that was written by Australian playwright and criminal defence lawyer Susie Miller. Let's listen to an excerpt from that play. 
It's not emotional for me. It's the game, the game of law. I stand completely professional. I call for a dismissal. The judge is swift. It's all over. The barrister's rule is the winner cannot flaunt it. Every winner might be the one who loses the next day. Well, <laughs> we don't call it losing. We call it coming second. <laughs> Today, the Crown Prosecutor came second. Thank the other side as you leave. Thanks, Mr. Crown. Don't make eye contact, blah, blah, blah. Motion for my client to up and leave. Everybody watches my exit. Leather satchel across my chest. Song <laughs> Turn at the door, nod to the judge. Gesture for my client to do the same. Outside the court. Hi! He's free! He gets to go home. His mother is there weeping. She holds my hand to her chest. I like the mothers. They know. They understand. I tell him I got a dash, I got another case to prepare, but I don't want to see you here ever again. My client nods, shakes my hand. Respect. Power. Today I was a winner. Today I came first. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and so how many characters did you play in Prima Facie Sheridan? In that just the one, Tessa, but she threw out the show jumps into many other characters sort of as she's uh, bringing it all up and then towards the end of the show when she's in a court scene she is playing prosecutor jury her family so in i think within that scene there's about 10 people shit that she's pulling up really rapid fire yeah that was oof that was a time <laughs> and so was it the first time you'd worked solo in a dramatic context yeah it was actually yeah and was that easy for you oh no <laughs> <laughs> but having worked solo yeah in in, in you know musical yeah, theater and I comedy i was definitely confident to do it i definitely wasn't afraid of that I was the challenge was wonderful and you know I did there were other people who read that script who went no that's just my worst nightmare out of just not having that company on stage with you to be pushing that show along but I felt from my solo travails in sort of comedy I went no I'm ready for this I definitely knew that it had been sort of 15 years of jobs that really was leading me to that skill set to pull that show off. As soon as I read the first page, I went, oh, gosh, this is meant to be. I, Everything I've trained for has come for this moment. So I, yeah, it was, geez, it was difficult, but I had a, I really relished the challenge. And what did you think of the subject matter? Just so, I know it's such a boring word, but so important especially at this moment I was struck by when I read it that I went wow I actually haven't read a show about sexual assault even though it's a really common plot point that appears in literature theatre film it's never all about that and that suddenly struck me as quite a strange act of violence that something as big as a sex assault is usually actually so minimised and show to just be a plot point to trigger someone else's behaviour, whereas this show really goes into the years and years and years of fallout from an act like that being done to you. And it shocked me that I'd not seen that before. And I think, yeah, it's this funny thing when you read it, you go, oh, haven't I seen this before? And they went, oh, my God, I haven't. Um, and Lee Lewis said it a few times in Q&As. Uh, Lee Lewis, the director, there's nothing new about this show. And she meant that as in this is almost a humdrum bog standard sex assault. Sorry, it's terrible to put it that way, but it is. And we'd never actually picked it apart. 
to see what that is, it was like something had to be more remarkable about it. But to you really go, wow, this completely stops a woman's life and the people around her. So I think it was extremely important that we actually saw it and faced up to that fact that we don't respect the fallout of sex assault. Did you research the role? Oh, yeah, I did a lot. In fact, the script wasn't ready to start. New work, it's always, you know, right down to opening night, you're still tweaking, and actually even till closing, we were still tweaking. So I couldn't um, really spend time learning it, knowing it was going to change so much. So I watched a lot of documentaries and I hung out at court and just saw trial after trial to just get that vibe because it's such theatre. And actually when I was there, I went, why haven't I done this before? <laughs> All theatre and film is based around the judicial system, but yet I'd never been there. And it, I actually couldn't believe you're allowed to just go sit there and watch people's lives be torn apart. And at first I was quite just emotional, like people, you know, were being found guilty and I'd start crying with their family and they're like, who is this person just crying with us? Um, but within three days I was like there with popcorn going, come on, what have you done? <laughs> you get very desensitised. Um, yeah, so I really sat in that for a while, which was um, really eye-opening. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of docos out of America who their Me Too movement has just blitzed ours. You know, they've been able to move much faster. So there was a lot of stuff coming out of there which was pretty hard to take. And you performed the play for an audience of women from a women's refuge, is that right? Oh, yeah. That was really something. How did they respond? They got pretty vocal, which was awesome. There's one part towards the end of the show where I see him, my assailant, for the first time and he asks if he can take me out for lunch and someone in the audience went, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I really had to not go, yes, sister. And afterwards the response of just people... The, the women coming up and going, you just told my story, just made everything seem really vital and I was really glad that we did that. Mm. Yeah. So you believe it was an important show? Oh, my God, yeah, because they've never seen their story told back for them, you know. Like I said, it's not part of a, just a bigger picture and it's a plot point. These are women who incredibly smart, intelligent women who once had a home, once had a family and can't now go back to their base. So they're in these refuges and just have to wait the years and years for the system, the judicial system, to come in and clean up shop. And it does. It takes years for these things to go to trial. So that was, yeah, really affirming of the work that Susie had done to Mm -hmm. write that show for those people. And what were the main challenges for you, Sheridan, playing this part? Well, learning the goddamn thing. (laughs) (laughs) 90 minutes and I kind of had... By the time we'd sort of done development the first week, three weeks to learn it, essentially. And that just was crazy. My ears and eyes were bleeding. And just the level of exhaustion that comes with that. Also then the carrying of the material. In so many ways, Lee and I kept avoiding rehearsing, which wasn't helpful because like, oh, no, we've got to do that scene. Let's have another cup of coffee. Anyone watching Game of Thrones? We did a lot of procrastinating. But the carrying of the material really did permeate into my life in ways I knew it would but it happened in unexpected ways I suddenly felt very unsafe and I didn't expect that I had been walking around as an an untouched human I'd never had my sense of safety pricked and suddenly I knew it could be and I hadn't even thought about that and I was like waking up 2am and checking my locks and things like that and went oh my god this is this is me just considering the material, let alone it ha- actually having happened to me. So there was a weight that came with it. 
Yeah, a sense of what it is to have someone take something from you. Mm. And the play had quite an effect on the audience. Can you describe some of the reactions that you experienced? That was um, quite hard sometimes. People would leave. There was lots of um, trigger warnings with the show, but stuff would happen where someone would buy a friend a ticket without really realising. And a couple of times that happened where people, we had to stop the show, people leave. And that was confronting to go, this isn't, I don't want this to be traumatic for people. It's meant to be affirming in some way. And the show does sound traumatic, but it's actually by the end, it's a call to arms, you know. It's a very sort of positive response that comes by the end. Mm. So when that happened, that was always really hard to take. And then there's this part of the show where she says one in three women have experienced sexual assault and to look out every night and go, wow, I'm actually really speaking to one in three, you know, there's about 40 people in this room who I could be speaking exactly to right now and that was always really hard. When you say trigger warnings, what do you mean by that? They would put up signs in the foyer saying difficult material. There were signs um, all through the website when you're booking, just going, this is sensitive material, just to make sure the right people were coming and people who did not need that experience in their life. Mm. And so were there benefits of performing solo as opposed to working with an ensemble? Well, I had lots of room in the dressing room. (laughs) I decimated the dressing room. You know what? I really actually enjoyed it. In a way, I wasn't alone. I had my stage manager who was this beautiful man, Kim Scott, and he really was my partner in crime because it's such a big show to manage Every night I would sort of do something that he knew I was trying to modify. And usually, you know, you've got sort of a repartee with your scene partner, but instead I'd look up at him. (laughs) And he was great. He'd come down after the show every night and we'd talk through what worked, what didn't work, what he preferred, what needed to clip along. And that was essential because you can really lose your way. Even actually um, listening to that clip, which was filmed earlier on, I was like, oh, God, four weeks later, that was a really different scene. And And that was all through the... Um, management with Kim so that was essential to make sure the show sort of didn't get soggy and I didn't get Mm -hmm. self-indulgent because usually it's your scene partner who's on your back about that kind of thing it was great though it got so elastic and so flexible but do you feel more pressure going solo oh my god yeah I felt every night as I was waiting to walk on stage and the lights went down and the music started I would start laughing like a maniac like out loud going, why am I doing this to myself? This is awful. Like, this, why? This is torture. Walk on. <laughs> but by the end, it was worth it. <laughs> and what about the stable, Sheridan? What's it like to perform in that theatre? Oh, I love that little, little fancy diamond. People call it many things, a kite, a diamond. But I always notice when I'm drawing blocking into my script that when you're drawing the line up and down, it looks like a beautiful vagina. And that is how I see... Griffin has a big, that stage is a big, warm, welcoming vagina. (laughs) I love that space. It's so, it's actually great and awful to be that close to the audience. In Primer, it was so confronting to hear. I could hear them rustling. I could hear them breathing. I could see their bloody Apple watches lighting up. And it was hard not to have an inner monologue if they were rustling of going, oh, you're boring, you're being boring. Um, It was quite. I was always sort of tampering that to go, no, they're enjoying you. There was like evil angel, good angel on my shoulders. And actually I did appreciate we went to Canberra uh, for a week after Griffin and I couldn't hear them. 
and it was like I was alone and I needed that to just do the show and get a bit confident and go, oh, I'm good, I'm good at this. And then when we went to Parramatta and I could hear them again, I was mu- my inner voice was much more nice to myself. I was much more reasonable going, it's fine, they're just eating a choc top because you can at Parramatta. <laughs> so, but the beautiful thing of having them so close is that you can just talk, you can just talk, you're not putting on a big show, you don't need bells and whistles, you are just looking them in the eye, they can see you sweat, see you breathe. It's quite wonderful. How was it working with the writer, Susie Miller? Susie just was – she's been marinating this show for 20 years, her whole career, Um, like in the way that I felt like everything in my career had led up to having the exact right skills to perform that play. I think her as a writer, things just fell into a place. She said she'd been pitching the show for years and years and no one was interested and it just struck at the right time and Lee saw that it was right program at Griffin and what she did so well and I think is absolutely the key to the success of the show was she managed to be able to write it for those within the law and those outside of the law and it wasn't boring for those in the law and it was not too dense for those outside of it so we were playing to rooms and rooms of lawyers they were all there with their wheelie baggage coming in straight um, out of yeah, court and they loved it they really really loved it They loved, you know, anyone who goes into law has a fair big sense of themselves. So they loved seeing themselves up on stage. And that's what Susie didn't shy away from is the big characters and the big bravado that you need to stand up in court every day. Um, They're all actors. And she was fantastic to be editing in the room. When we first read the show, it went for two hours and it was just too – I couldn't even speak. My mouth like that. So over the four weeks we sort of got – half an hour out of the show and also to having her in the room because she worked in the law for so long to hear I mean she never says the character of Tessa is her but it's definitely she's been boiling all the things that Tessa says so to hear Susie explain all these things in her words was just like better than any research that I ever could have done I was just taking (laughs) Susie's mannerisms her tone her her attitude to things and I just filled that all through the show which made it so easy to have this sort of rich character the writer and actually put her in the show thank you so much it's been a delight to speak to you Thanks for listening to Griffin's special podcast series where we're celebrating 50 years of the stables. For more anniversary activities, head to Griffin's website, griffintheatre.com.au. Thank you.